When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to CLNS Media, powered by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash roll. Use our promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your first deposit. Everybody, we're back at the Red Sox Beat Podcast, presented by CLNS Media, your leading online audio and video provider for Major League Baseball. I am the host of this show, Chris Cotillo, cover the Red Sox for Mass Live and host this podcast on a weekly basis. And we have now episode 227 of Red Sox Beat. Our guest today is Matt Votor, Mike colleague and our columnist at masslive.com we have a ton to get into obviously it's august 1st which is you know kind of a big date on the baseball calendar as everybody gets to sleep in relax kind of assess what went on in the last 24 48 hours in baseball and obviously around the league a lot with the trade deadline here in boston not so much so matt and i were at fenway yesterday and taking in all of the you know what what are the red sox going to do one 4 p.m hit it turned out to be nothing. Dave Dombrowski then spent 25 minutes explaining to us why. And so, Matt, thanks for uh, coming on and trying to sift through this madness with me. No problem. No problem at all. Yeah, yesterday was kind of like uh, you got all geared up for to see the, uh, the the solar eclipse, and it turned out to be a cloudy day, and there was nothing. <laughs> yeah, and also a, a terrible weather day and a terrible game played by the Red Sox last night, which. You know, our other issues, they've now lost two of three as of the recording of this, or the first two, which means that they've at least lost two of three to the Rays at the time of this recording. So I might be swept tonight at Fenway Park before heading on to the Yankees, to the Bronx for a four-game series, including a doubleheader against the Yankees. So plenty to get to here. Uh, I think, you know, at the beginning of the week, it looked like the Red Sox were going to get a big fish in the relief market. Edwin Diaz maybe kind of talked about, you know, Shane Green, familiarity with David Dombrowski in Detroit, Razor Iglesias in Cincinnati. And then all of a sudden it kind of flipped to, all right, those prices are too high, but we're going to try to get some depth guys, maybe some guys that can can help us in the sixth or help us in the seventh, looking at Daniel Hudson or a guy like Sam Dyson in San Francisco, maybe Will Smith in San Francisco, a rental. And when the clock struck four, the prices were too high, leaving the Red Sox standing pat their whole deadline at this point and forever because there's no August waiver deadline they acquired Andrew Kashner from the Baltimore Orioles for Ilio Prado and Nolberth Romero, who nobody's ever heard of either of those guys. That ends up being the only move. And, and Matt, I'm sure your reaction was one like the rest of us, one of surprise when uh, when Dave, Alex Cora and then Dave Dombrowski came out and said that we made no deal. Uh, you, you think when, especially when you're talking about kind of like a lesser bullpen arm, you thought you'd think they'd get something. That, that that if nothing else that at least presents the perception that you're you're trying to do, to to do something and they, that you think you can make a move because because otherwise the, a bullpen that's been a that's been a you know a, a sore spot for them all season there's nothing that makes you feel like that that, that things are going to get better down the stretch and and I wonder a little bit if last week's five and two. You know, the playing well and and taking series from the Yankees and the Rays. I wonder a little bit if that was almost the worst thing that could have happened for them, because it put them back into that middle gray area where they looked kind of good 
And so maybe you're, you feel like, all right, let, that there's a chance to go for it here and to, to maybe make a run. But at the same time, um, they hadn't done enough yet to, to, to feel like, well, for sure, uh, go for a run. Um, so they, 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 they moved themselves back to the middle and ended up doing nothing. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of us thought that they were potentially going to be sellers. We talked about that on this show, and, and especially when they lost two or three to the Orioles a couple of weeks ago. You know, it seemed like, you know, selling was definitely an option. They then came out one, two or three in Tampa, one, three or four against the Yankees this weekend. And uh, I, I thought at that point, you know, they'd be buyers uh, and maybe make an aggressive move. A couple moves that were made yesterday stood out. Um, the Braves didn't pay a ton for Shane Green. Um, they paid. They pay actually paid up for Chris Martin from the Rangers. But two moves that I thought were uh, deals the Red Sox could have done. The Twins got Sam Dyson from the Giants with an extra year of control for three prospects ranked outside their top 30. And then in the case of Daniel Hudson going to the Nationals, the Nationals sent a 23-year-old right-hander who's in high A. That's not good for right. those who don't know. And uh, he's, tw- he's 27th in, in Washington's system heading into... The deadline, he's all the Blue Jays got for Daniel Hudson. The Blue Jays had a terrible deadline. I wrote about that this morning. My trade deadline winners and losers, you can see that on Mass Live. The Blue Jays were one of them because they didn't get you know a lot of value from any of their assets, really. But that was an especially bad deal. That it's almost shocking the Red Sox couldn't have beat that price out. Um, so you wonder would they have had to slightly beat that price, or they have had to considerably beat that price because it's a team in their own division? And did the, the did the Blue Jays? Look a little bit at the Red Sox, like they like they didn't want to see them improve that much more be- because of the divisional thing. Whereas if you if you send someone to the the Nationals, you send some um, that it's not it's not the same uh, it's not the same. I think that whole perception is outdated. I mean, the Red Sox their last their three of the four deadline trades they've made in the last two years have come with divisional teams. They got Steve Pierce from Toronto. They got. Uh, Nathan Avaldi from Tampa Bay and, and Kashner from Baltimore, the only outlier being Ian Kinsler coming from the Angels, especially if you're if you're that, you know, far out of it, if you're not going to be a contender for the next couple of years and it's a rental guy, I think there's no issue. But that's totally logical. I'm just trying to give I'm trying to think of something. something yeah, no, I know. Red Sox would not have have uh, have been able to beat just that. And I think it also speaks to the to the way the Red Sox um, farm systems perceived throughout the league. You know, if the Red Sox might have valued their guys. More than the rest of the league valued them. Obviously, the farm system has gotten better in the eyes of experts this year. We've had a few guys from the Red Sox farm system get into the top 100. Jaron Duran, Bobby Dahlbeck, um, Brian Mata is kind of right on the edge there. And uh, some others, obviously, um, headlined by Tristan Cassis, who I think was completely, completely off the table. Uh, so the Red Sox, basically, I think what it came down to. The acquisition cost was high. I found it interesting, and you wrote about what the Yankees did yesterday, which was also nothing, especially you know in the starting rotation where they had the need. Ryan Cashman said that they found in their estimation that the acquisition costs were too high across the league. So it's something where the Yankees and the Red Sox both thought, you know, we we could use an addition, but the acquisition cost is too high. The difference, obviously, the Yankees are probably going to win the American League East. It'd be shocking if they don't, and their problems won't catch up to them until October when they have to face Houston or Minnesota or Cleveland or whoever. In the case of the Red Sox, their problems are going to start or they, I guess they did start last night or maybe even in March and they're going to continue with them for two months. And um, it's going to affect the regular season and they're, they're trying to get a wild card spot. 
Yeah, the, the Yankees not making a move seem to make a lot less sense. If you're if you're the Red Sox not making a move, you can there's a school of thought that you can come to that says Dave Dombrowski looked at his team and didn't think it was worth investing in. And given the way they've played this year, give, given the, the problems that starting pitchers that you relied on have had. Um, but the Yankees, Yankees have to look at it with the, the record they have and, and uh, the situation going into the day. This is you know before the Astros really loaded up and, and think they could have been the favorites in the American League if they'd gone out and added a, a frontline guy. And so the, the Yankees do have a pretty good farm system at the moment. They're, they're, they have prospects they could have made that would have, uh, could have used to entice a team into, into giving them a, a, a better frontline guy. I think they, they probably could have um, gotten Stroman if they, if they had pursued that. And we know that he would have loved that aggressively. You, you, uh, there's, it was all the talk about Robbie Ray and, and the Mets, the two Mets starters were, were, in play, so it's it would certainly have seemed like if the Yankees had decided they're going to go get a guy that that it was it was there to be there to be had, and and so and Cashman, I mean Cashman was a lot more honest, I think, than a lot of GMs are in that situation, and, yep. and said that he was disappointed that that he he wanted to he wanted to get better, and that they just didn't think the things that the the prices were right, but I mean if. If you're the Yankees, who have certainly established that culture of of world you know, World Series champion is success and everything else is is a failure, you have a team that could have competed for that this year with with a little bit of help. And I think you know they still will. I think there's a lot of guys who are still on the injured list that are set to come back. Luis Severino, obviously, you know whether he comes back as a starter or kind of does the Evaldi path and comes back as a reliever. They have Giancarlo Stanton, who's still out, and Gary Sanchez, Brett Gardner, Greg Bird, Dylan Batances. You know, the list goes on and on. The Yankees have been really banged up since the beginning of the year. So they're trusting that their internal guys will come back healthy and make a difference. I think that is a fair gamble because of those names and that talent. It's a more fair gamble than what we've seen from the Red Sox, who are banking on, I don't know, Nathan Avaldi stepping into a role that he never has, which we've talked about on here. It seemed like a panic move at the time. It, now it makes you know even a little bit more sense, a little bit less sense. Sorry. Uh, and then you know obviously, Darwin's and Hernandez and Josh Taylor have looked good. They're banking on those guys to step up, and we'll see what Brian Johnson's role is when he comes back over the weekend. So, the Red Sox bullpen, for the third time in three chances, is going to be after a big chance for Dave Dombrowski to add to the group. It is going to be made up of in-house wild cards and, and pieces that you know are no sure thing. I think the best case in point for that is that they enter the season saying, okay, we have two sure things in our bullpen, and then the rest will fill in as we go. Matt Barnes and Ryan Brazier, or in the case of how David Dombrowski <laughs> pronounces it, Ryan Brazier. It's been a year. He still doesn't get it right. Pretty remarkable. <laughs> and I like Dave, and I actually am not among the people who think he should be fired for not adding to a mediocre team nine months after winning a World Series. We'll get to that later, I'm sure. Um, but that one, he he is always pronounced as Brazier, and it drives everybody nuts. Um, I, I think that was that was their two sure things, and they had a bunch of guys in spring training. People have forgotten already that they were – these guys, Brandon Workman was not a lock to make the team at the beginning of spring training. He was a guy that, let's say Tyler Thornburg showed up, and he looked like the Milwaukee version of himself, and – um, and when he was going to be installed as a late inning guy, then he was going to get a spot on the team. Or, you know, if someone had a ridiculous spring at some minor league free agent signing. So 
Brandon Workman, Heath Hembry, Tyler Thornburg, those kind of guys. If Stephen Wright was health was not suspended and he was healthy and and he was on the opening day roster, maybe a guy like Workman or Hembry gets cut. Those guys were uh, Workman the whole year and Hembry for a stretch had been crucial. The point being, you know, the Red Sox thought their only two sure things were Barnes and Brazier. Brazier is now in AAA and and it's been you know kind of an exact uh, opposite of what they expected with him. The Red Sox at the trade deadline decided last year not to acquire a reliever. They acquired Evaldi, lengthen their starting rotation, helped that out. That obviously worked out great. Everything worked out fine. They won a World Series because Joe Kelly pitched his ass off in the postseason. And they <laughs> moved Rick Porcello and Evaldi and David Price and Chris Sale to relief uh, roles at different points. And they kind of managed it and figured it out, and it worked out. And that, I think, to a point, gave them the false confidence to do that again heading into the season where they didn't acquire Adam Adevito. They didn't acquire Zach Britton. They didn't go out and get any of those guys. David Robertson, they went out and got Colton Brewer as the only guy. He ended up making the team. That hasn't worked out for the first half. And now, like I wrote today in an analysis of this whole deadline, this is now the rubber match of the you know bullpen gamble series. They, it worked once. It didn't work the second time. And now at the trade deadline, for the third time, we'll see if if uh, these in-house options can can push the Red Sox to where they need to go. Yeah, I mean, that's really the question. So as the league gets more, you know, book on Darwinson Hernandez, on Josh Taylor, does, you know, how, how does how do hitters approach those guys differently? And, and can they, they they've both shown signs of, of being potentially potentially really good, but can you trust those guys to, to keep doing it? It, it they how will their ability to adjust, um, you know, affect how well they can they can do down the stretch? Because I mean, you've the Red Sox have thrown a lot of guys into I mean, the Travis Lakins and Josh Smiths and Ryan Webers of the world. There's been a lot of guys that, that have Warren uh, and Warren, yeah, the, Bobby uh, Pointer and all these guys, yeah. There's there's been there's been a lot of guys out there. They're just trying to to hope that that something. Uh, Hope that something sticks. So yeah, they have to hope that Brazier does. Kind of, I mean, that was that was Dombrowski's thing yesterday that that, that he thinks that Brazier's a guy that'll that'll help them. And maybe Hector Velasquez, who's been effective in stretches, comes up and 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 helps at at, at some point. You're just you're asking these guys, none of whom have pitched high leverage innings in a pennant race, to to do it really effectively and. Um, other than Workman, who 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 did it in in thirteen, it's there's there's and nobody the times that last year as well. Yeah, a little a little bit last year, but was not mm-hmm. in the postseason roster for a reason. Right. And so I, I think you look at you look at where they are. You have to hope that nobody falters because you don't. You, who you who do you go to if they do? It's it's right. not a not a not a great not a great situation at all. So I mean, I, my question is. Was how aggressive was Dombrowski really trying to be yesterday? I mean, did was he really hoping to get something out of it, or did he really look at this and say that it wasn't worth spending prospects on to to get this team better because the, the starting pitching hasn't been good enough to to put it to really stock the bullpen behind it? Yeah, I think you know Dave Dombrowski, as as you saw in that press conference, what I want to get to now yesterday. He kind of does the thing with the he, he kind of does a word splash of all these guys who they believe in in the bullpen. And I think at the baseball writers dinner, and I've talked about this on the show before, at the baseball writers dinner in January, he said we have four viable guys for 
you know, whether it's the closer role or high end back end guys. Workman wasn't one of them. He mentioned Barnes, Brazier, Tyler Thornburg, and Stephen Wright. Thornburg's released, Brazier's in AAA. Stephen Wright is with the worst toe injury of all time, apparently, in Fort Myers, and doesn't look like he's really going to be a factor for the rest of the year. And Barnes obviously didn't hold the role. So 0 for 4 there. And now yesterday you have the same kind of thing. He's mentioning Darwinson Hernandez, Josh Taylor, Nathan Avaldi, Ryan Brazier, you know, these guys, Heath Embry has been throwing the ball better. And it's the same kind of, kind of word splash of names that, that we we've seen or heard for the last couple of years. I think the press conference yesterday was fascinating to me. And we both wrote similar type things about our reaction to it. You know, I think Dave Dombrowski came out and he's usually extremely polished, has a very clear message has a very clear strategy of communication. And while, you know, he was still good and, and candid at some points yesterday, there was a, a, two different roads that he, or two different themes that he talked about the whole time. And I think that those him doing that for the whole press conference really spoke to how he was truly conflicted about what to do. Number one, he believes he has enough talent on his team to compete for the rest of the season and deep into October. But number two... He believes that his team hasn't done enough to deserve mortgaging those top prospects or overpaying for a guy uh, to be supplemented at the deadline. Somewhere in that middle ground is where Dave Dombrowski saw himself and felt that the Red Sox were throughout July, and that ended up you know, playing into them standing pat. So as I wrote today, those two schools of thought, one, that they're good enough to, to do it, and that he has that belief, but number two, not good enough. Um, I think it comes down to, at this point, do the players look at this as, you know, insulting that while we're not good enough to add to, or do they look at it as a vote of confidence that he's confident enough in the 25 guys in this room? Like he said yesterday, the guys in that locker room will win the World Series if, if, for us if we do it, not anybody from the outside. Do they look at it as an insult, or do they look at it as a sign of faith? Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think it's... I think it probably varies a little bit from guy to guy on and on some level I think it, it it really depends on what they think of themselves. I don't I think I think they're all probably happy at this point that the trade deadline has passed because well not not a lot of guys in the major league roster were really at talked about being moved. Nobody's losing a job to somebody. They yeah. they're it's it's for better or for worse, it's 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 theirs to 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 go with, and and whether Steve Pierce ever comes back or or um, or Stephen Wright, as we've mentioned, if he in mm-hmm. uh, Ryan Brazier comes back up, it's it's guys that you know, it's guys that you've been with before, whether last year or this season. So I, I think I think if I think if you're the Red Sox, if you're the players themselves, I think they're all confident guys. I mean, they didn't get there by not being confident. I think they probably look at this and say, um, say that all right, that you know, that that they're good enough. Um, but I, I think I think if you if you got in the Kansas City Royals locker room before the season and asked them if they were good enough to make the playoffs, to a man that also that all say yes and to a large degree believe it because I think that's the way athletes are wired. Um, but a, so a guy probably like Post- not the Orioles, though. They probably yeah, didn't believe it. Yeah, no, no, definitely not the Orioles. Yeah. But you look at a guy like Porcello last night. I mean, I mean, he comes off the comes off the field and 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 bangs up the TVs there in the first inning. It's clearly getting to him. Yep. And so we saw it manifest. We saw the frustration manifest itself that way in him. 
how is it manifesting itself in some other guys that when they're mm-hmm. struggling? What's what's going on in Heath Hembry's mind right now as he's all of a sudden hit hit a rough patch and and Chris Sale comes out and has another uh, another you know middling game the way he did on Sunday. What's going on in his mind and is there enough time to get the important pieces right? that you need to have right to, to have any chance at this. Cause you, there's no, there's no cushion right now. It, it's, it's obviously very much a, uh, they've, they've got to get better and they've got to get better fast. I agree. Yeah, totally. It's uh it's, it's crunch time. They're heading into now a very crucial four game set in New York over three days. I think double headers. Sometimes there's a game teams kind of punt on and there's a game that teams really, you know, try to win. There's kind of the A team and then the B team, you know, the Red Sox obviously are going to have Brian Johnson starting one of those games. So, um, and obviously he's been good at times, but coming off the D, uh, the injured list, excuse me, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. The Red Sox don't have time to kind of monkey around and, and have one of those punt games on Saturday in the Bronx. They need to, you know, really look for a sweep of that doubleheader. Teams are usually happy with the split. The Red Sox win three or four from the Yankees again this weekend, you know, beat up in their starting pitching. We saw that they can do it a week ago. Um, I think that would be a good step forward, but it's just been the same thing, you know, deadline aside, five and two against those two teams. They basically saved themselves from being deadline sellers, even if Dave Dombrowski won't admit that. And then they come out and lose three in a row. Just the roller coaster uh, continues. And I think uh, a dead patch last night. So uh, I think now at this point with two months to go, almost exactly two thirds of the season gone, it's important to look at how the rest of the league was affected by the trade deadline. The Yankees obviously did nothing, but you're not looking at the Yankees as the number one competitor right now for the Red Sox. The Astros, the same type of thing. The Astros, as Matt mentioned before, really bulked up getting Zach Greinke from the Diamondbacks for a huge prospect haul. They ended up getting two relievers or, or a starter and a lever from the Blue Jays and Aaron Sanchez and Joe Biagini, who are both controllable. Martin Maldonado, catcher, comes from the Cubs to the Astros. So they loaded up for October, which they are almost certainly going to be a part of. Uh, the Twins ended up adding two relievers, Dyson and Sergio Romo. And the Red Sox, three main wild card competitors, all made significant trades. The Athletics added three pitchers, Jake Diekman, Homer Bailey, and Tanner Rourke. So two guys to the rotation, Rourke and Bailey, and one to the bullpen and Diekman. The Rays did what the Rays always do. They made like 19 trades, some as buyers, some as sellers. And you walk away from it saying, wow, I, I don't know most of the names here, but I'm sure that they're all going to be Borderline all-stars within the next year because that's what the Rays do. Uh, they got Aguilar from the, the Brewers is one of their bigger moves. They got Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards and a, really a move that is as under the radar as it can get because those are uh, names that you've probably never heard of. And Nick Anderson's a very good reliever. They gave up Ryan Stanek and a top prospect, Sanchez, to get that deal done. They made some other ones. Calera goes to the Dodgers and they got Eric Sogard. So, you know, the Rays with a lot of roster overhaul in the last four or five days. We'll see how that works out. And the Indians making what I think is the most fascinating move of the deadline, maybe in the non-Granky category. They trade Trevor Bauer, the enigmatic Trevor Bauer, for the enigmatic Yasiel Puig, kind of <laughs> one headache for another, uh, for Terry Francona. But they end up getting Franmil Reyes, who's a guy with like over 25 homers from the Padres, and Logan Allen, who's a top pitching prospect, who's among the top 100 in baseball. The Red Sox had traded for Craig Kimbrell a few years ago. So, Matt, I look at the Indians, obviously, as one of the, the premier contenders in the wild card. My first reaction, I tweeted this out, was that, oh, the Red Sox are big winners of this Bauer trade because the Indians are weakened. And then you look at what they got, and you think they got two outfielders with pop. 
and a guy who can slot into the rotation that was one of the top 100 prospects in baseball. Risky move, obviously, for a team that's chasing the wild card, but in the long term looks good. And for this season, I think, you know, after further review, I think uh, the Indians actually, you know, made out very good in that deal. Uh, I think Reyes especially, he's a guy that is, is much more of a DH than than really an outfielder for for his career going forward. I think that that's a guy that they they probably look at and say that he, he can fill that role for for a while for them potentially. Trevor Trevor Bauer is interesting because you it's not very often you you think let's let's move a an elite pitcher while you're contending. But he's he's such an interesting his personality is I mean I, you wonder just how grading having him on your roster is for a long period of time. And is, and is that, I mean, is that the Nomar trade in, in some senses that they, if you remember mm-hmm. in, in, in 2004, a lot of people thought that, that Nomar's frustration and dissatisfaction with his situation in Boston had, had kind of been a, um, had, had been kind of a dead fish in the, um, in I'm the blocking, Red, blocking my ears right now <laughs> in the Red Sox locker room. And I, I think they thought that adding Cabrera, and his sort of effervescent personality was yeah. something that helped that that Red Sox team. And so you wonder with Bauer, uh, is he somebody that that his his kind of his personality is he's a loner. He's not a necessarily a real popular teammate. Um, that losing him can help if you get talented in other places. And so Yasiel Puig for all his his kookiness, you saw him um, right in the middle of that of that brawl the other night fighting for his Reds teammates. He's his former teammates at that yeah, point. Really? And, and that he's right there that these, you know, these guys were his, his, his brothers at that point that he's, he's in that mix. There's something to be said for that. And so yeah. I think in t- if you're Terry Francona, you're, you're, you've probably at times had nightmares about Manny Ramirez being back on your roster after some of the things he dealt with. But mm-hmm. Terry Francona was really good at pressing the right buttons with Manny Ramirez. Now, I'm not saying Yasiel Puig is Manny Ramirez, but it, it seems like the combination of, of talent, occasional ap- uh, lapses in effort, and personal judgment, um, I think it's uh, probably true in both of their cases. But I, I think there's uh, I, I think it's something that Terry Francona is good at. And so if, if you look at what they got, if, if Logan Allen pans out, I, there, there's some there's some things there that make you think that the Indians can can make that can make that work. And Terry Francona is as good a manager in baseball at taking guys that are I don't that are are not perfect players, but finding ways to to put them in the in situations where they can use the you know, get the best out of the skills that they have. And and this Indians team seems to fit that. Yeah, for sure. One of the one of the more fascinating moves, like I mentioned, Trevor Bauer's last act in an Indians uniform will go down as him throwing the ball over the fence the other day, which was a wild move that I think a lot of people were surprised about. Maybe not that surprised of you. you know the guy, the most egregious Trevor Bauer moment of all time. This is a personal vendetta. He was on his UCLA recruiting trip. They took him to Pauley Pavilion for a game. UCLA, arguably the most storied basketball program in the country, and instead of playing along and wearing UCLA stuff. He decked out in the gear of his favorite college basketball team, the Duke Blue Devils, which I think says all you need to know <laughs> about one Trevor Bauer. So, um, but I, well, one thing with that, I think Bauer's obviously made made it very clear that um, he's not willing to sign a multi-year deal. He's come out with this thing that 
he made a promise to a friend that if he ever signed a multi-year deal, he'd be allowed to shoot him with a BB gun in a region you don't want to get hit. And so he's going to be signing only one-year deals from now on, whether that's a one-year $30 million deal, a one-year $35 million deal, whatever that ends up being, in a year and a half when he's a free agent. Um, that feels like know, an I, unenforceable deal. Uh... An enforceable deal to me, the, the BB gun deal. By the way, I, I'm I'm not sure that that that, that holds well, he, up. Well, he's he's committed to it, so he's <laughs> you know, uh, and this is a guy who I could see doing it. I, I don't know. It's it's just it's all nonsensical at a point. Um, so the Reds don't really have the ability to sign him to a long term deal. It's so bizarre that we could be actually talking about this because, it, but it's true, and I fully believe it. The Indians probably thought. You know, maybe we want to commit to Francisco Lindor, who's absolutely beloved by everybody in baseball and everybody's favorite player and everybody's favorite guy. Commit to him, and and we're not we're not going to re-sign Bauer or, or some of these other guys. Um, but I think it's just interesting to me the uh, the Indians. You think about kind of the best young rotations that we saw come up over the last few years. There's been a lot of talk about you know Syndergaard and Wheeler in the last few days. You think back to what that Mets rotation could have been. Harvey, you know, who is also in the in the off the field or or difficult guy category and and he's a he's a Carolina guy so are bad but um you know him and and Syndergaard Mats and Wheeler and and that that group that they had that um and DeGrom obviously has worked out but that rotation never panned out altogether uh with the Indians you think about you know Kluber and Carrasco who obviously he's dealing with leukemia right now um but he's been good Bauer Clevenger, some of these guys they've had. And the fact Danny Salazar. To, yeah, Danny Salazar was very good for a stretch. And, you know, you think about those guys. Obviously, they got very, very close to a World Series a few years ago. But uh, the fact that they were never, never able to put it together is kind of shocking. So that's, that's uh, you know, a lot packed into a 30-minute period. It's a lot more than the Red Sox packed into the 30-minute period uh, before the deadline when it seems like they had already decided to punt. Andrew Kastner is the only new Red Sox in July. Matt, bold prediction time before we close the show. Do the Red Sox sneak into a wild card team? David Dabrowski said, you know, when he's talking about his roster, this is it, meaning the guys we have in here. Let's go. Is that team good enough to sneak into the wild card in the last 53 games of the season? Are they good enough or are, are they going Will they do to? it? That's, Will they yeah. do it? I, I've been wavering a lot on this, but right now I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. If you look at the way David Price has pitched in the last couple of starts, I don't have great faith in in Chris Sale's ability to to keep it to to pitch you know effectively, consi- you know consistently effective. Um, and Rick Porcello is, is is struggling. So at, at that point, you're asking an awful lot of Eddie Rodriguez and Andrew Kashner yep. to, to to stay afloat. I. I I think they can. I think it's going to come down to the wire for them. I think you're you're talking, you know, in the uh, mid September, that every game matters a lot. But but I I think they're going. To, I think the teams that are ahead of them are a little better positioned to do it, and I, I think they're going to just miss. And there you go, negative so math tour on a yourself? Thursday. Yourself, you've got them in. I don't know. I, I really it's <laughs> it's I, I I've wavered too. I just, I think, you know, it, it, Cleveland's could take a step back in the immediate future without Bauer. I think that's, that could be fair to say. Um, the Rays over the last two days have impressed, but for a stretch there, they haven't. 
I'm going to say it comes down to a four-game series in St. Petersburg from September to September 23rd. Whoever wins that series gets in. That will be my bold prediction because I really am 50-50 on the Red Sox chances right now. That's been Matt Votor from Mass Live. I'm his colleague, Chris Cotillo, a lot younger than he is. But you can read us both at MassLive.com. Matt, thank you as always.